Welcome to Songcraft. I'm Scott B. Bomar. And I'm Paul Duncan. Songcraft is the show that brings you in-depth conversations with the creators of great songs, from the ones you know and love to the ones you should know. Be sure to subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts, and visit us at songcraftshow.com. You're listening to Fix My Eyes, a major 2014 hit on Billboard's Christian chart for the band for King and Country that was co-written and produced by today's guest on Songcraft, Seth Mosley. Still in his 20s, Mosley has emerged as one of the most sought-after and influential creators in the Christian music genre. Beginning as the founder, lead singer, guitarist, and songwriter for the band Me In Motion, Seth went on to become the go-to producer for major artists such as Newsboys, Michael W. Smith, Audio Adrenaline, and Toby Mac. In 2015 alone, he scored a staggering eight number one hits, including for King and Country's aforementioned Fix My Eyes, Francesca Battistelli's He Knows My Name, Matt Carney's Air I Breathe, and Jeremy Camp's He Knows. In total, Seth has written nearly 30 charting radio singles. He was named Billboard Christian Producer of the Year for 2013, was awarded a Grammy for his production work on the Best Contemporary Christian Music Album of 2014, was named CSAC Christian Songwriter of the Year in 2015, and took home four Dove Awards that same year, including both Producer and Songwriter of the Year. Well, today's is a fun episode for me because our guest, Seth, uh, is a, a buddy of mine, a guy that I've gotten to know some over the past year and done some work with. Yeah, and actually, I believe, Paul, if I'm not mistaken, that um, recently Seth interviewed you on his podcast, Full Circle Music, right? That's right, yeah, Um, and that's actually a really cool podcast. If if you're interested in this one, uh, you're interested in songwriting and music and stuff like that, check out the Full Circle Music podcast because they're interviewing a lot of people that are that are doing cool stuff. I, I don't know why they sat down with me, but... Uh, yeah, I was wondering that too. I thought that was uh, a strange choice. Never underestimate the power of begging. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, please, guys, please. Well, I, I got to say, for our listeners, uh, Paul sells himself short. Um, not only has he written some great songs, but he just entered into a brand new publishing deal with a company called Centricity Publishing That's in right. Nashville. Um, and... Paul, you have had cuts by a lot of artists in a lot of different genres over the years, and you've had some chart success uh, on the in the country market, in the contemporary Christian market. You've written uh, rock stuff that's been used in MTV shows and things like that. So um, you have, have built this nice uh, career for yourself, but this is the first time that you have kind of made that leap to say, yeah, I'm going to partner with another company. I'm going to partner with a publisher um, rather than just kind of manage everything on your own. So it's kind of a a cool, new, exciting step for you, something that that you haven't really ventured into before. Yeah, it is cool. I mean, I I think uh, after, geez, man, almost 20 years of kind of doing this this music stuff, it's nice to, to kind of have a team around me. Um, so, uh, looking forward to kind of seeing what that next season looks like. I'm, I'm just kind of like trying to follow in your footsteps. I mean, cause you signed a deal long before I did. Um, and so I'm, I'm just kind of trying to keep up and, and also trying to build a, a real credibility profile here at Songcraft <laughs> <laughs> for people to know that, Hey, we take this stuff seriously. Um, yeah, yeah. We love, we love songs. We love songwriters. Yeah. We love the whole process, the whole world of it. And, um, you know, I understand that uh, Seth also is a, a writer with Centricity, and yeah. and um, that you have a relationship with him through that. And I was bummed uh, not 
unlike our Donovan episode that that we aired uh, a few episodes back where you were unable to to be a part of the interview. Similarly, I had to pull the plug at the last second because I had a situation come up and I was not able to to be there for the conversation with uh, with Seth, which right. really bummed me out. So um, you got the chance to to talk to him. I think some uh, children episodes uh, <laughs> called a halt to to, yeah. uh, to the first part of the interview and then you were able to pick it up uh, <laughs> after that. And, and yeah. what happened there? Well, every great interview is uh, at one point derailed by a sick child. I think that's just like a, <laughs> a common thing that happens. About now. But Seth and I both uh, uh, share the, the beauty of being dads, which uh, every now and then um, involves some, some illness with the kids. And, and so uh, he was gracious enough to, to help kind of finish the interview at, at another time. But, you know, the real reason that you weren't a part of it, I, I don't know if you knew this, but he had actually asked that, that I do this one alone. Yeah, I know that he uh, has heard our podcasts and felt that my contributions <laughs> are not uh, up to par. And he said, please, please, whatever you do. Yeah. Um, no, but in the world of Christian music, I mean, the guy is just killing it. Um, yeah. Pretty much any record that you would buy um, in that genre, you're going to find a Seth Mosley song or two or three or more on it. Yeah. Um, and it's it's meant Dove Awards and, and Grammys and... He's just everywhere. Um, so it was really cool for him to take the time to sit down and and, uh, and talk to me for this. Yeah, definitely. And I am uh, looking forward to hearing it myself. Well, let's get into it. Seth, welcome to Songcraft. Thanks for having me on the show. I love the show. Yeah, man. Been looking forward to it. So let, let's go all the way back. You were born in Circleville, Ohio in 1987. What are your first musical memories? first musical memories were really just from growing up in church um yeah kind of you know church music singing a choir I, I think i had my first like step out solo when i was like five or six and there's there's video floating around oh wow my family somewhere <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was kind of my first foray into it my family definitely was very musical everybody sang and three-part harmony but nobody ever really did anything for it as a you know career you know there's one of my uncles teaches in school but nobody nobody ever had pursued like the artist track or right definitely definitely not what i'm doing now i i know from a previous conversation that there's also a a fourth grade talent show that happens (laughs) (laughs) a a, a performance of a dc talk song correct yeah, that's pretty much was something that we did. It was Jesus Freak. Nice. Me and my friend uh, were dressed up with WWJD shirts and backwards <laughs> hats, and I did Jesus Freak. I think I did all the Tate parts. Nice. Because I wasn't I wasn't cool enough to do the the Toby raps. But you you guys were but coming he, hard all the way from the mean streets of Circleville, Ohio. Yeah, fourth fourth grade. We were just trying to impress the fifth grade girls. Perfect. So. <laughs> It was uh, it was something. Well, and and so you said you were playing music at church and and youth group and stuff like that. Now I know that high school years are when a lot of kids are learning how to play guitar or piano. But I've heard that you actually taught guitar in high school. How did that work? Yeah, that was kind of you know a lot of people get a summer job when you're in high school. A lot of people, whatever, mow grass or do all these odd jobs. I, I taught guitar lessons. Wow. Um, I've actually I've actually never had anything I've ever gotten paid for that's been non musical. Wow. Um That's pretty which awesome. Is crazy. I think I, I think I think I mowed grass maybe three times. But you sang while you did it. 
So I'd sing, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll call that a music job too. Yeah. Well, and then you, you, you got a job at, at a studio in nearby Columbus. Um, and then after that, in 2006, you formed a band with a couple guys you knew named Tim Wilson and Brian Dexter called the band Me in Motion. Had you already been writing songs up to that point, just kind of on your own? Uh, and then what made you decide to form a band instead of just kind of going solo? It's um, a great question. Uh, I, I, I think as far as songwriting goes, I started probably writing my first songs. I had, I had a brief acoustic singer-songwriter career when I was like a senior in high school. Right went under the name Seth David, and um, yeah, I, I'm sure there's some things floating around, <laughs> but it, it, it was it was probably, you know, junior year, I guess, uh, you know, I was always making music up, but in terms of actually lyrics and, like, singing, right. I mean, just singing in front of people, um, I don't think that was until, like, junior junior year of high school or something, but as far as, as, far as starting the band and, and not just doing it myself... I mean, that, that kind of spawned out of, you know, where I got started, which was leading music in church. Right. And, you know, I was always kind of around a band anyways, and we'd go out and do these weekend events, and that turned into tours, and that turned into, hey, let's, you know, make our own record and get some guys to come out. And, right. Um, yeah, so it was sort of just a natural progression out of just doing it in church. Well, then you guys set out and started touring and started to build a, a pretty strong fan base. As a kid from a small town, without any label support, how does that happen? We had what I kind of call a telemarketing station in my parents' dining room. <laughs> uh, me, me and my drummer were living there at, at, at home at the time. and right. um, He moved all the way from, from Kansas, and my parents were gracious enough to you know, put him up and let me stay there. But they also let us set up a telemarketing center in their wow. dining room. And we <laughs> kind of just went through and made these Google databases of like, hey, th these are some cities we'd like to tour in. We just went and called every church in those cities and said, hey, do you have like a youth program or a, a college program or anything? Um, and if so, would you be interested in having us come in and play? We can send you our stuff. We'd love to play a show for you. And the very first tour, I think we had d done 27 shows in 29 days, and to this day, that was probably <laughs> probably the most money I ever made on any <laughs> tour, because everything went <laughs> kind of downhill from there. Right. <laughs> the, the good old days. Anyway, <laughs> I, I hear you saying that, and I just think, you know, so many kids are just sitting around playing video games, you know, in, in their immediate post-high school years, and there you are setting up an office, and and setting up tours on your own and a total self-starter it sounds like yeah we man we even would take out because i was working at a studio throughout that time and sort of had been making relationships with these other bands that i was producing and a couple of like we would take two or three other bands out on the road with us so we i mean we'd put together this whole deal one of the bands would usually have production and set that up and um but yeah, I mean, you you really got to be a self starter. Nobody, especially in the beginning, is going to hand you anything. Right. So it's kind of just like that. I, I always tell people that my mentality in life is like ready, fire, aim. <laughs> and I like that. That's definitely what we were doing. It was kind of <laughs> like, hey, ready, let's do this, and then let's figure it out <laughs> after the fact. <laughs> that's awesome. 
ready fire so, aim shoot first ask questions later i mean yeah well me and motion signed a development deal with producer ian escalin in 2008 which led to an ep with word records and then a company called centricity signed the band after that releasing your first full length in march 2010 and one of the songs on that album which got you a lot of attention reaching number 18 on the chr chart was losers Tell us about that song. Yeah, it's, it's just interesting. I mean, I, I, from 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 all intents and purposes, I think I was a pretty normal kid growing up. I, I don't know that I had, you know, I wasn't like crazy star athlete or star rock star in school or anything. I kind of mm-hmm. just drifted between church crowd, school crowd, you know, and, and, and I, I don't know. It was kind of just a song about like not really quite knowing where you fit in. Right. And just the struggle to find your identity with that. And I think it kind of resonated with a lot of people who hmm. were dealing with that. A lot of young people that were like, yeah, I, you know, it's, for lack of a better term, I kind of feel like a loser. Right. And, you know, but, but the, the redeeming message of that song was that Jesus has a thing for losers hmm. and people who are, you know, on the fringe and not doing things the way everybody else does them. So, right. That was kind of what that song was about. And, and so the thing, if, if you look back on it, you felt like the lyric was what drew people in. I think so. I think just because it was so out front. I mean, it, you know, it, I've, I've certainly been, been, a, been a part of a lot bigger songs in my career, but that one definitely at the time just was our first thing that, yeah. you know, we'd turn on the radio and hear it, and then that was a really cool feeling. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I really do think it was the lyric, and you know, we worked we worked hard on you know we we produced that single ourselves and mm. worked hard on it, and you know, I I think sonically we were trying to do something kind of different too. So yeah, I think it was a combination of things. Well, the success of Me in Motion was was great for you, not only in that you were getting songs on the radio and building a following, but it, it also got the attention of a prominent band in the Christian music scene, Newsboys. And they reached out to you to write and produce on their 2010 album, Born Again. How did that come about? Yeah, I mean, that was kind of the first opportunity coming to Nashville. Because I, I didn't live in, in Nashville at the time. And, okay. Um, just to rewind a long time ago, you kind of asked the earlier question, about what was your first exposure to music? I should have answered that, well, I joined this, my parents joined this 12 CD a month club, and the first CD we got in that was the Newsboys "Take Me to Your Leader." Yeah, but that was my first CD, and and then fast forward to, I guess it probably was '09 or something. We started working on stuff, but to be working with with that camp was pretty surreal. Um, their manager had us do uh, an EP for his daughter, who. Um, really was kind of brand new and um we, we had peter furler who was the former newsboys front man played drums on it okay kind of built a little bit of a relationship with him and um still have huge respect for him to this day but uh i, I don't i don't really know what the conversations were behind closed doors but i know at some point you know i i got a shot at 
producing a song, and I liked how that turned out, and that turned into the full record, and then that was kind of the first thing that lit a fire for like, okay, well, maybe I should chase this production and writing thing, because you get one thing that works. Right. And, I mean, that thing definitely was a pretty big door opener for a lot of yeah, things. Yeah, you know? that Newsboys album was a huge success, a number four on the Billboard 200 charts. And we're not just talking about, you know, the, the Christian genre, but overall on the Billboard 200 chart, the album was number four. And it was the best album charting position that they had had up to that point. Um, became their fourth number one album on the Christian chart. You co-wrote nine out of the 12 songs, including the title track, Born Again, which was a single from the subsequent live album, and that, that's really become a staple for the band. This is what it is, this is who I am, this is where I finally take my stand. I didn't want to fall, but I don't have to call. I'm not the one with two star hands, giving him the best of everything that's left of. The life inside this man, I've been born again. When you're with a band that you've grown up listening to, that you have a ton of respect for, did it feel strange to kind of take control in the studio? Yeah, I mean, I guess control's a loose term, but but yeah, <laughs> right. I, you know, because you're the guy saying, hey, Tate, you know, that was great, but can you sing that again? Right. <laughs> like, I think you got a better one. Yeah, here. and the guy's amazing. It's yeah. like, it's not, I mean, what am I going to say? This dude has been in the industry for as long as I've been, you know, <laughs> listening to music and right. so but yeah you kind of really just have to go in with confidence trust your gut mm. and um you know you kind of learn things along the way but it was definitely it freaked me out for sure the first time <laughs> i think i even met him and got the chance to you know eventually cut a vocal with them and it's like okay is this how is this how it's done is this how <laughs> i'm supposed to do it like i never went to school for it i never really sat in on a right anybody else's session before so it's kind of just like well i hope i'm doing this right you know yeah you're like please, please don't let me be the guy who just like points the mic in the wrong direction yeah that that was exactly <laughs> it and and to be honest i think there might have been a song on that record where like i listened to i don't think it was on born again but i think there was one one point where i did have the mic facing the wrong way <laughs> and it was like a, a pretty prominent part of the song but <laughs> it was one of those things where it's like well i'm not going to tell anybody we're right. just going to make it sound like we, well, you know, we did that the on best purpose. we can and yeah. <laughs> you know just a little side note if anybody watches the the lenny kravitz are you going to go my way video it's kind of an iconic video uh his vocal mic has turned the wrong direction for the entire video well that's I, i'm going to go watch it as soon yep. as we hang up on go, go check that out yeah um well, soon, you know, after that, that Newsboys record, it, it seemed like your name was everywhere as a writer and producer. And in 2012, you worked on albums from two artists that would go on to become well-known in the Christian industry for King and & Country and Mariah Peters. Can you tell when you're working with an artist, can you tell when they're kind of going to be somebody? Um, I mean, I, I, I would like to think that every single thing that we're working on to quote my my friend Jason I think we should be pumped out of our minds about everything we're working on but really at the end of the day there really isn't a way to know I mean I, I do think there is a certain quality about artists that we really do try to as much as you can align yourselves with that it's a combination of work ethic 
charisma, magnetism, and really just kind of kindness and generosity. Hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, you mentioned for Kane Country, they kind of have all of those things. Yeah, where they're immensely talented on the musical side, but that's you know five percent of their right. whole story. It's, they've got a work ethic like nobody's business. They've got you know just charisma for days. Um, obviously, not bad looking. That doesn't help. Right. That doesn't hurt. Yeah. That <laughs> never hurts. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I I don't know. I mean, you, you can you can kind of tell, but at the end of the day, it's it. it, it Sometimes you're surprised at what works and what doesn't. So I think the best thing, the best mantra is like, hey, let's serve every single person, every single artist that comes in equally. Yeah. Because we really don't know who's going to be that next huge thing. You know? Right. Well, it, it's interesting because I, I, I think back to you setting up that kind of telemarketer office in your parents' house, um, having your own work ethic and being a self-starter. And it, it must, you know, it sort of takes one to know one in a way. You know, you recognize that work ethic when somebody comes in because you demonstrated it yourself. Yeah, I mean, the work ethic thing is huge to me. I mean, we, in my company, I mean, that's that's a, that's a non-negotiable. You mm. know, I mean, we 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 don't really, you know, when when we're when we're looking for somebody to hire and we're doing internships, you can totally tell really quickly yeah. who has that and who doesn't and. It's just you know you, you to to work in this industry and to really work in any creative industry or any entrepreneurial thing, which you really have to be an entrepreneur to be in the music industry nowadays. Yeah, um, it really takes uh, just kind of an unwavering confidence that hey, I'm going to get up and do this thing. I'm going to fail fifty percent of the time, maybe more, probably a lot more, <laughs> but I'm just going to keep doing it and figure it out and slowly but surely, hopefully something will catch on. You know? Well, 2013 brought you another opportunity to work with a band that was probably quite well known to you as you worked on an album for the reformed Audio Adrenaline, Kings and Queens, and you produced and co-wrote tracks including King of the Comebacks, Change My Name, Seeker, and The Answer. Now, there were a lot of different writers on the record and multiple producers as well, which is becoming more and more common these days. From an artistic and creative standpoint, would you rather be the sole producer of a project or do you enjoy having your work placed alongside the work of multiple producers on an album? Um, you know what? I guess it depends on the record. It depends on the artist. I mean, obviously, we, we try not to do work with people that we just, you know, don't have a, a chemistry with. But right. um, what I do love and what, what, we, what we shoot for is um, produce the songs you write, you know, write songs, produce those up, and as far as producing outside songs, we, you know, I mean, the, the, the best song wins, and, mm. and we're, we're not going to be the first people to say that, hey, every one of our songs is better than everybody else's song. Right. That's not true at all. And sometimes you, you just wind up doing other people's, and, and that's fine. But I find that nowadays it's probably more common where we'll write, you know, three or four or five songs with an artist, and then we'll, we'll produce those songs right. and i personally really lean towards that yeah um it, it, it does seem that it's getting away from that whole thing where you know one producer for an entire album um which which is interesting it, it, it does allow an artist to get a lot of different looks when they put a project out rather than having 
hey, we're going to stick with this one, you know, totally homogenous sound for the three years of an album cycle, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, not to not to go completely off on another tangent, but it's, it's interesting to me how, how the, the Grammys, I don't know if a lot of people really know how they're set up nowadays, but if you win a Grammy on a record album of the year or whatever, if you're, you know, if there's most records have two or three producers on them nowadays, yeah. To get a to get a Grammy statue, you have to produce fifty one percent or more of the record. Really? So nowadays, it's likely that you know a lot of producers will never get a statue because there's not really records that are just one producer anymore. Wow. Well, it seems like every project brought with it more opportunity, and in two thousand fourteen, we start seeing your name attached to a lot of big songs in the world of Christian music. Francisca Battistelli's He Knows My Name, written by yourself, Francisca, and Mia Fields, is one of those songs. Along with being a very message-driven song, He Knows My Name has tons of pop hooks in the melody. Talk a little bit about the importance of a hook, and how do you know when you've got it? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that song started sort of like a lot of songs when, when me and Mia will sit down to write is just a song title and it's an idea, and we'll, we'll get in and start writing a verse, chorus will come, um... I mean, for me, the singability, the hookiness, the phrasing, and the way that it lands is every bit as important as mm. what you're saying. Right. Because, I mean, you can have the best message and content in the world, but if it's in a way that people hear it and then they can't sing it back to you, then it's kind of pointless. Right. So um, I think repetition's a good thing, you know, keeping stuff simple enough but interesting enough where it's uh you know it's just not it's not like some people heard before right um but yeah i I don't know that that there's any formula or science to it i mean per se that i could lay out on a sheet of paper but I, i i know that with that song in particular when when we uh got into doing the chorus it's always like when that hook comes, because we had like the whole chorus, and then just singing that he knows my name, just singing it that way, it was like, oh yeah, that's it. Okay, right, you cool. just kind of feel so, it. Yeah, so sometimes when you land on that hook, you're like, that's what just solidified everything else. Right. Well, you know that that keeps happening in the songs that you write. You know, they they all have those kind of the big melodic moments um, that people can grab onto and. 2014 brought you another big hit when For King and Country took Fix My Eyes to number one. I'd live like I'm not scared Give when it's not fair Live life for another Take time for a brother Fight for the weak ones Speak out for freedom Find faith in the battle Stand tall but above it all Fix my eyes On you 
song is characterized not only by a great melody, but by huge energetic rhythms. You know, for someone like yourself who's both songwriter and producer, you know, there's a number of ways to write a song. You can pull out a couple of acoustic guitars and a spiral notebook. You can start with a beat or a track in Pro Tools. On a song like Fix My Eyes, did you find yourself starting with that beat, or was that a completed song that you built a track around? You know, it was interesting with that one. That was the first song that I sat down to write with Joel and Luke for that record. Wow. And it came out of a... Because we had just finished a Christmas record with them. And it came out of a rehearsal. Their drummer was playing this beat on his snare. And Joel re- pulled out his iPhone and recorded it. And he's like, hey, that's cool. Keep doing that. Huh. And he... he pulls up that little iPhone memo and I, I plug it into my computer and I sample it and then we chopped it up they're like wow that's let's build something off of that that's cool so so that was that was the really the genesis of that song was just this little snare drum so you actually use that, that we, iPhone recording as a building block yeah that's awesome yeah I, I I mean he wasn't doing it to a click or anything and there was noise all kinds of noise, and they were, you know, it was just like on a stage thing. Wow. But we chopped it up and turned it into, you know, made it made it conform to the tempo, and that sort of turned into the whole song. So that one started with, with, with the drum beat, and you can probably tell that by the end because it's a very rhythm-focused yeah. production. Absolutely. And a song that resonated with people. You guys, you know, really found the that thing that was personal to them, it was obviously came right out of kind of their musical instincts, but then resonated with everyone else. You know, what's interesting with that song is to see how it has resonated with people from all walks of life because they've, since being a, 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 a number one on the Christian radio charts, it has gotten picked up by a lot of mainstream AC radio stations and has been slowly climbing up the charts on on, on that side of things. So wow. it's it's just really interesting because I think there's something about a message of positivity and hope yeah. that resonates with anybody, no matter what you believe. Right. And just to keep your eyes fixed on that, I, I think that's that's what really uh, struck a chord with a lot of people. Well, you know, that's, that's actually a really good lead-in uh, to my next question. Um, because... Because you do keep having these hits, you know, in the Christian world, uh, 2015, Jeremy Camp released the album I Will Follow, which has your name all over it as writer and producer, and you co-wrote the single He Knows, which went to, of course, number one on the Christian radio chart. He knows, he knows, every hurt and every sting, he is the suffering, he knows, he You know, but you mentioned the For King and Country song kind of having the crossover um, potential to it or, or having the crossover effect. Um, but not all the songs do that. And here you are working with great artists. You're writing giant pop melodies and they're making huge waves in the world of Christian music. But sometimes the world outside of Christian music often doesn't take notice of what these artists are doing. Does that ever become frustrating? You know what? Not really at all because I, I'm a big believer in, you know, Focus on your niche. Mm. I, I think 
I think when you start trying to be this person and then that person and then that person and then that person, you kind of lose who you are. You right. lose your identity because you really can't please everybody. That's that's the thing. Kind of going back to our conversation about entrepreneurship, you have to know who are the people that I'm trying to serve. Yeah. And if you're a country writer, it's you know music bands that listen to country radio and a lot of them drive trucks and right. uh, work, <laughs> live in small towns and you know right. so you, you kind of have to know who you're serving right if it's, if it's people that are listening to christian radio you know they're they're going to church and working a normal job and listen to caleb and probably live in a small town and um so i i i don't think i get frustrated with it at all i mean it's mm. you know there, there's a lot of people that have issues with radio formats being too narrow and you know they play the same songs over and over again but fact is i mean they're doing what people are 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 raising their hands and saying i want that i want more of that i want more of that you know so um i don't think i really get frustrated at all i mean we had another song uh with matt carney called the air i breathe That, that was that was another number one on christian radio but that one as well, I mean, we you know we set out kind of writing that as hey, we need a we need something that Christian radio can play because he's not a core right. Christian artist. You know, he does all kinds of you know, alternative and pop, and but but then that song started getting played. So it's it's funny how sometimes you really can't formulate it or come up with a plan like hey, this we're going to write this song to be a crossover hit. Right, right. I just don't think I just don't think it works like that. I think. If people want it to be a crossover hit, if, if if it's that type of song that resonates with a lot of different worldviews and a lot of different people, then it'll happen. But I just don't think there's any way you can force that. Yeah. Well, I've had the privilege to write with you this past year, and I was struck by your structured approach to time, you know, compared to what I see with so many writers. You know, you work from 10 to 6 generally. And in a creative environment that can sometimes be loose and open-ended, what are the reasons behind you taking such a disciplined, scheduled approach to your work days? Well, I made a decision really early on when I got married that you really, you're going to choose one or the other. And there's going to be times when you have to choose what you love, what, you know, work versus family. And and that's really the the short and easy answer. Mm. Because if you don't put boundaries on it, music and creativity and songwriting and anything in this vein, it it just gets out of hand and, and it really isn't a thing that you can put hours on usually. But my approach to the creative process is very much team-driven and and it's very it very much does have boundaries around it in terms of time. Yeah. Just for the sanity of my family and I, I want to spend time with my daughter. You know, I have a, we have a 17 month old daughter now, and I don't want to be one of those guys looking back where I've achieved this massive success and had all these number ones, yet wound up losing my family as a result of it. It's just not worth it. Right. Absolutely. So that's the short and easy answer. <laughs> I mean, the heart. It's it's. That's easier said than done, you know, mm. for all the creatives and songwriters listening out there. It's really hard to put songwriting in a box of, all right, we have eight hours, let's right. get a song done. And, you know, sometimes you get a complete one and sometimes you don't. It's just Yeah, and you're, and you're trying to get the track done, too. Right, exactly. I yeah. mean, it, and, that, and that's the part where I've, 
I've, I've made it much more of a team thing than just about me. So I, I think there, there are a lot of guys in Nashville who just have so much more talent than me in terms of tracks and beats and programming and sounds and engineering and mixing. And so we've kind of built a, a team around that that sort of makes up for my weaknesses in, the, in those areas. And that, and that also allows each of us not to have to work 24 hours a day. Right. Well, you, you mentioned that team, and you've organized all your efforts into a company called Full Circle Music, and you've built that team for songwriting and production. And, and one of the things that you guys are doing, which is, of course, near and dear to our hearts, is a podcast. You're interviewing music makers, and you've interviewed Tom Douglas, who's been a guest of ours, along with some great writers like Jason Ingram and Mia Fields, who we mentioned before, and the producer Brown Bannister. What led you to start this podcast, and where can people hear it? Well, I think, you know, I, I'm, I'm a podcast junkie. I mean, I, I, I love your podcast. I'm, I'm a fan of good podcasts. I just am a fan of learn. I, I think it's, it's more that I'm just a fan of learning. Mm. And if I had any kind of life mantra, it would just be like, never stop learning. Wow. And podcasts are a great way to do that, especially if you're driving a lot between work, you know, driving to and from writing sessions. I think a lot of people just waste so much time. Like, you might veg out to Netflix or something. Well, why not take that time and uh, learn something, yeah. you know? Yeah. Listen to an interview or listen to an audiobook. Yeah. And so a lot of it was just simply curiosity-driven because I wanted to know, okay, what was the backstory of Brown Bannister? You know, I grew up looking at all these, at all these records he had produced and, Jason Ingram, you know, when I moved to Nashville, it's like, Jason Ingram is the guy, and he really yeah. still is, you know? And I'm just like, okay, so everybody doesn't start there. It takes a lot of blood, sweat, and tears for people to build successful careers. Yeah. And I wanted to know what what were those stories, you know? What, what was Jason's hustle job when he first moved to Nashville, <laughs> and what was, you know, did Brown wake up just one day and started making gold records and the answer is no obviously right there's a moment in that jason ingram interview when he talks about donating plasma yeah. to get home for christmas literally like, what an amazing story to hear from somebody who's you know who's so successful now and then you know it's what a great humanizing element to hear that yeah it's, it's, it to me it's been a really it's been encouraging to me personally and i think it's been an encouragement to a lot of our listeners too who have written in and Said, yeah, that's that's really inspiring, and that mm. that inspires me to go. I'm going to go home and write a song right now. Wow! So I think it just puts it makes it makes it tangible, and takes these dreams that a lot of people have to become songwriters or producers, and puts them into actionable terms. Yeah. And I I think that's that's what the podcast is evolving into, and 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 that's what I personally love about it. And and where can people hear? It's called the Full Circle Music Show, and um, you can find it on iTunes, you can find it on our website, which is fullcirclemusic.org, just click on podcast, you can find all of the ones in the archive right there, hmm. um, and it's, yeah, it's on iTunes, any of, the, any of the podcast sites. So if you're listening to this podcast, we know you like music podcasts, so go check out the Full Circle Music <laughs> Podcast. Um, well, last question for you, Seth, then we'll let you go. Um, 
particularly in the last couple of years, uh, the industry has recognized your work with some pretty prestigious awards. In, in 2015, you were named both Songwriter of the Year and Producer of the Year at the Dove Awards. You received the CSAC Christian Songwriter of the Year Award. You won a Grammy for producing for King and Country's Run Wild, Live Free, Love Strong album. And, and there's more awards happening and coming in 2016 all the time. What does that recognition mean to, uh, for you? You know what? When I first got into it and started going to these award shows, it was kind of like, oh, what, what, you know, what, what's the point of all this? Is it just like, because a lot of times you, you, you see it's, it's, it's the same people winning these awards over and over and over again, and you're like, man, when am I going to get something or whatever? Yeah. And so it's easy to get sort of cynical and jaded towards them, but you know what? Being on the other side of that, having seen recognition from whoever it was that votes for these things or whatever radio program director plays these things enough on his station for them to become the number ones that they are, it's just kind of a reminder that, okay, so people are actually listening. Yeah. Um, and, and it really helps you. It helps you like, okay, that works. I want to do more of that. <laughs> right, you right. know, it's just kind of like a, uh, you know, you can't, can't manage what you can't measure. And it's just kind of another another tool of that mm. but uh, you know it, it, the, the bigger thing for me is you know it's just something that i can give to my daughter someday and yeah. it's just it's, uh, i think i think that's probably more the the, the specialness to it because obviously just because you have a a grammy or a dove or a billboard or csac award it, it really doesn't financially mean hey I can start charging ten thousand dollars a day to write a song. It doesn't mean that at all. It's just—it's more that hey, there's there's something working here, and it just kind of reminds us to be thankful and right. just to keep keep doing it, you know. Well, when you tell people that you've been a guest on Songcraft and that you can start charging ten thousand dollars a day to write a song, that's that's actually my main reason for doing yep. the show. Yep, I know. My my prices need need a need a bump. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, all the awards you've gotten, man, I, I've heard the songs, I've worked alongside you, and I've gotten to know you, and I can say confidently you deserve every bit of it, um, and, you, you know, thanks for doing all the great work, and thanks for spending some time with us today. Man, well, that, that means a lot. Mad, mad respect for, uh, for you as a writer and a person as well. Thank you for listening. To find out more about our guests, stream episodes, get a sneak peek at upcoming interviews, or to contact us with your feedback visit songcraftshow.com. While you're there, sign up for our mailing list so you can stay up to date with everything that's happening in the Songcraft universe. We'd love to stay connected with you, so please like our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash songcraftshow. And if you enjoy what we're doing here at Songcraft, please take a moment to leave us a rating and review on iTunes, which truly helps potential listeners discover these conversations. And we look forward to getting together with you again for the next episode of Songcraft.